0: THE STORY GIRL CHAPTER Fourteen: FORBIDDEN FRUIT We were all, with the exception of Uncle Roger, more or less grumpy in the King household the next day. Perhaps our nerves had been upset by the excitement attended on Jimmy Patterson's disappearance. But it is more likely that our crankiness was the result of supper we had eaten the previous night. Even children cannot devour mince-pie and cold-fried pork-ham— and fruit cake before going to bed with entire impunity. Aunt Janet had forgotten to warn Uncle Roger to keep an eye out on our bedtime snacks, and we ate what seemed good unto us. Some of us had frightful dreams, and all of us carried chips on our shoulders at breakfast. Felicity and Dan began to bicker, which they kept up the entire day. Felicity had a natural aptitude for what we called bossing, and in her mother's absence she deemed that she had a right to rule supreme. She knew better than to make any attempt to assert authority over the story-girl, and Felix and I were allowed some length of tether, but Cecily, Dan, and Peter were expected to submit dutifully to her decrees." In the main, they did, but on this particular morning, Dan was plainly inclined to rebel. He had had time to grow sore over the things that Felicity had said to him when Jimmy Patterson was thought lost, and he began the day with a flatly expressed determination that he was not going to let Felicity rule the roost. It was not a pleasant day, and to make matters worse, it rained until late in the afternoon." The story girl had not recovered from the mortifications of the previous day. She would not talk, and she would not tell a single story. She sat on Rachel Ward's chest and ate her breakfast with the air of a martyr. After breakfast she washed the dishes and did the bedroom work in grim silence. Then, with a book under one arm and Pat under the other, she betook herself to the window seat on the upstairs hall, and would not be lured from the retreat. Charmed, we never so wisely. She stroked the purring patty, and read steadily on, with maddening indifference to all our pleadings. Even Cecily, the meek and mild, was snappish, and complained of a headache. Peter had gone home to see his mother, and Uncle Roger had gone to Markdale on business. Sarah Ray came up but was so snubbed by Felicity that she went home crying. Felicity got the dinner by herself, disdaining to ask or command assistance. She banged things about and rattled the stove covers until even Cecily protested from her sofa. Dan sat on the floor and whittled, his sole aim and object being to make a mess and annoy Felicity. "'in which noble ambition he succeeded perfectly. "'I wish Aunt Janet and Uncle Alec were home,' said Felix. "'It's not half as much fun having the grown-ups away as I thought it would be. "'I wish I was back in Toronto,' I said sulkily. "'The mince pie was to blame for that wish.' "'I wish you were, I'm sure,' said Felicity, riddling the fire noisily." Any one who lives with you, Felicity King, "'will always be wishing to be somewhere else,' said Dan. "'I wasn't talking to you, Dan King,' retorted Felicity. "'Speak when you're spoken to. Come when you're called.' "'Oh, oh, oh,' Wailed Cecily on the sofa. "'I wish it would stop raining. I wish my head would stop aching. "'I wish Ma had never gone away. "'I wish you would leave Felicity alone, Dan.' I wish girls had some sense," said Dan, which brought the orgy of wishing to an end for a time, and wishing fairy might have had the time of her life in the king kitchen that morning, particularly if she were a cynically inclined fairy. But even the effects of the unholy snacks wear away at length. By tea-time things had brightened up, the rain had ceased, and the old low-rafted room was full of sunshine, which danced on the shining dishes of the dresser, made mosaics on the floor, and flickered over the table, whereon a delicious meal was spread. Felicity had put on her blue muslin, and looked so beautiful that it had her good humor was quite restored. Cecily's headache was better, and the story girl, refreshed by an afternoon siesta, came down with smiles and sparkling eyes. Dan alone continued to nurse his grievance and would not even laugh when the story girl told us a tale brought to mind by some of the Reverend Mr. Scott's plumes which were on the table. The Reverend Mr. Scott was the man who thought the pulpit door must be made for spirits, you see, she said. I heard Uncle Edwards telling ever so many stories about him. He was called to his congregation, and he labored here long and faithfully, and was much beloved, though he was very eccentric. What does that mean? asked Peter. Hush, it just means odd, said Cecily, nudging him with her elbow. A common man would be odd, but when it's a minister, it's eccentric. When he got very old, continued the story-girl, the presbytery thought it was the time for him to retire. He didn't think so, but the presbytery had their way, because there were so many of them to one of him. He was retired, and a young man was called to Carlisle. Mr. Scott went to live in town, but he came out to Carlisle very often, and visited all the people regularly, just the same as when he was their minister. The young minister was a very good young man, and tried to do his duty, but he was dreadfully afraid of meeting old Mr. Scott because he had been told that the old minister was very angry at being set set aside and would likely give him a sound drubbing. If he ever met him, one day the young minister was visiting the Crawfords in Markdale when they suddenly heard old Mr. Scott's voice in the kitchen. The young minister turned pale as the dead. "'and employed Mrs. Crawford to hide him. "'But she couldn't get him out of the room, "'and all she could do was to hide him in the china closet. "'And old Mr. Scott came into the room. "'He talked very nicely and read and prayed. "'They made very long prayers in those days, you know. "'And at the end of his prayer he said, "'Oh, Lord, bless the poor young man hiding in the closet. "'Give him courage not to fear the face of man.' Make him a burning and shining light to this sadly absurd congregation. Just imagine the feeling of the young minister in the china closet. But he came right out like a man, though his face was very red. As soon as Mr. Scott had done praying, and Mr. Scott was lovely to him, shook hands and never mentioned the china closet, and they were the best of friends ever after. How did the old Mr. Scott find out the young minister was in the closet? asked Felix. Nobody ever knew. They supposed he had seen him through the window before he came into the house and guessed he must be in the closet because there was no way for him to get out of the room. Mr. Scott planted the yellow plum tree in grandfather's time, said Cecily, peeling one of the plums. And when he did it, He said it was a Christian, an act, as he ever did. I wonder what he meant. I don't see anything very Christian about planting a tree. I do, said the story girl, sagely. When next we assembled ourselves together, it was after milking, and the cares of the day were done with. We foregathered in the balsam-fragrant aisles of the fir wood, and ate early August apples, to such an extent that the story girl said we made her think of the irishman's pig an irishman who lived at markdale had a little pig she said and he gave it pailfuls of mush the pig ate the whole pailful and when the irishman put the pig into the pail and it didn't fill more than half the pail now how was that when it held a whole pailful of mush This seemed to be a rather unanswerable question. We discussed the problem as we roamed the wood, and Dan and Peter almost quarreled over it, Dan maintaining that the thing was impossible, and Peter being of the opinion that the mush was somehow made thicker in the process of being eaten, so took up less room. During the discussion— We came out of the fence and hill pasture where grew the bad berry bushes. Just what these bad berries were, I cannot tell. We never knew their real name. They were small red clusters of berries of glossy, seductive appearance, and we were forbidden to eat them because it was thought that they might be poisonous. Dan picked a cluster and held it up. Dan King... Don't you dare eat those berries, said Felicity in her bossiest tone. They're poison. Drop them right now. Now, Dan had not had the slightest intention of eating the berries, but at Felicity's prohibition, the rebellion which had smouldered in him all day broke into sudden flame. He would show her. I'll eat them if I please, Felicity King, he said in a fury. I don't believe they're poisonous. Look here. Dan crammed the whole bunch into his mouth and chewed it up. They taste great, he said smacking as he ate two more clusters, regardless of our horror-stricken protestations and Felicity's pleadings. We feared that Dan would drop dead on the spot, but nothing occurred immediately. When an hour had passed... We concluded that the bad berries were not poisonous after all, and we looked upon Dan as quite the hero for daring to eat them. <clears throat> I knew they wouldn't hurt me, he said loftily. Felicity's so fond of making a fuss over everything. Nevertheless, when it grew dark and we returned to the house, I noticed that Dan was rather pale and quiet. He lay down on the kitchen sofa. Don't you feel all right, Dan? I whispered anxiously. Quiet, he said. I was quiet. Felicity and Cecily were setting out a lunch in the pantry when we were all startled by a loud groan from the sofa. Oh, I'm sick, I'm awful sick, said Dan. abjectly. all the defiance of the bravado gone out of him. We all went to pieces except Cecily, who alone retained her presence of mind. "'Have you got a pain in your stomach?' she demanded. "'I've got an awful pain here. That's where my stomach is,' demanded Dan, putting his hand on a portion of his anatomy considerably below his stomach. "'Oh, oh!' "'Go for Uncle Roger,' commanded Cecily, pale but composed. "'Felicity, put on the kettle. Dan, I'm going to give you a mustard and warm water.' the mustard and warm water produced its proper effect promptly but gave dan no relief he continued to writhe and groan uncle roger who had been summoned from his own place went at once for the doctor telling peter to go down the hall to go down the hill for mrs ray peter went but returned accompanied by sarah only mrs ray and judy pennyu were both away Sarah might better have stayed home. She was of no use, and could only add to the general confusion, wandering aimlessly about, crying, and asking if Dan was going to die. Cecily took charge of things. Felicity might charm the palate, and the story girl bind captive the soul. But when pain and sickness wrung the brow, it was Cecily who was the ministering angel. She made the writhing Dan go to bed, She made him swallow every available antidote which was recommended in the doctor's book. She applied hot claws to him until her faithful little hands were half scalded off. There was no doubt that Dan was suffering intense pain. He moaned and writhed and cried for his mother. "'Oh, isn't it dreadful?' said Felicity, wringing her hands "'as she walked the kitchen floor. "'Oh, why doesn't a doctor come? "'I told Dan the bad berries were poison, "'but surely they can't kill people altogether. Pa's cousin died of eating something 40 years ago,' sobbed Sarah Ray. "'Hold your tongue,' said Peter in a fierce whisper. "'You ought have more sense than to say anything like that. "'They don't want to be any worse scared than they are.' But Pa's cousin did die, reiterated Sarah. My Aunt Jane used to rub whiskey on for a pain, suggested Peter. We haven't any whiskey, said Felicity disapprovingly. This is a temperance house. But rubbing whiskey on outside isn't any harm, urged Peter. It's only when you take it inside that it's bad for you. Well, we haven't any anyhow, said Felicity. I suppose blueberry wine wouldn't do in its place. Peter did not think blueberry wine would be of any good. It was ten o'clock before Dan began to get better, but from that time he improved rapidly. When the doctor, who had been away from home when Uncle Roger reached Markdale, came at half-past ten, he found his patient very weak and white, but free from pain. Dr. Greer patted Cecily on the head, told her she was a little brick, and had done just the right thing examined some of the fatal berries and gave it as his opinion that they were probably poisonous administered some powders to dan and advised him not to tamper with forbidden fruit in the future and went away mrs ray now appeared looking for sarah and said she would stay all the night with us i'll be much more obliged to you if you will said uncle roger I feel a bit shook. I urged Janet and Alec to go to Halifax and took the responsibility of the children while they were away, but I didn't know what I was letting myself in for. If anything had happened, I could never have forgiven myself, though I believe it's beyond the power of mortal man to keep watch over the things children will eat. Now, you young fry, get straight off to your beds. Dan is out of danger." and you can't do any more good. Not that any of you have done much except Cecily. She's got a head on her shoulders. It's been a horrid day all through, said Felicity drearily, as we climbed the stairs. I suppose we made it horrid ourselves, said the story girl candidly. But it's all be a good story to tell sometime, she said. "'I'm awful tired and thankful,' sighed Cecily. "'We all felt that way.'" CHAPTER Fifteen: A DISOBEDIENT BROTHER Dan was his own man again in the morning, though rather pale and weak. He wanted to get up, but Cecily ordered him to stay in bed. Fortunately, Felicity forgot to repeat the command, so Dan did stay in bed. Cecily carried his meals to him and read a hinty book to him all in her spare time. The story girl went up and told him wondrous tales, and Sarah Ray brought him a pudding she had made herself. Sarah's intentions were good, but the pudding, well, Dan fed most of it to Patty, who had curled himself up at the foot of the bed, giving the world assurance of a cat by his malophilous purring. "'Ain't he just a good old fellow?' said Dan." He knows I'm kind of sick, just as well as a human. He never pays no attention to me when I'm well. Felix and Peter and I were required to help Uncle Roger in some carpentering work that day, and Felicity indulged in one of the house-cleaning orgies so dear to her soul, so that it was evening before we were all free to meet in the orchard and loll on the grass of Uncle Stephen's walk. In August it was a place of shady sweetness, fragrant with the odor of ripening apples, full of dear delicate shadows. Through its opening we looked afar to the blue rims of the hills and evergreen old tranquil fields laying in the the sunset glow. Overhead the lacy leaves made a green murmurous roof. There were no such thing as hurry in the world while we lingered there and talked of cabbages and kings, a tale of the story girls wherein princes were thicker than blackberries and queens as common as buttercups, led to our discussion of kings. We wondered what it would be like to be a king. Peter thought it would be fine, only kind of inconvenient wearing a crown all the time. Oh, but they don't, said the story girl. Maybe they used to once, but now they wear hats. The crowns are just for special occasions. They look very much like other people if you can go buy their photographs. I don't believe it would be much fun as a steady thing, said Cecily. I'd like to see a queen, though. That is one thing I have against the island. You never have a chance to see things like they are. "'The Prince of Wales was in Charlottetown once,' said Peter. "'My Aunt Jane saw him quite close by. "'That was before we were born, "'and such a thing won't happen again until after we're dead,' said Cecily, "'with very unusual pessimism. "'I think queens and kings were thicker long ago,' said the story girl. "'They do seem dreadfully scarce now. "'There isn't one in the country here. "'Perhaps I'll get a glimpse of some when I go to Europe.' Well, the story girl was destined to stand before kings herself, and she was to be one whom they delighted to honor. But we did not know that as we sat in the old orchard. We thought it quite sufficiently marvelous that she should expect to have the chance of just seeing them. Can a queen do exactly as she pleases? Sarah Ray wanted to know. Not nowadays, explained the story girl. Then I don't see any use in being one, Sarah decided. A king can't do as he pleases now, either, said Felix. If he tries to, and if it isn't what pleases other people, the Parliament or something squelches him. Isn't squelch a lovely word, said the story girl irreverently. It's so expressive. Squelch. "'Certainly it was a lovely word, as the story girl said it. "'Even a king would not have minded being squelched "'if it were done to music like that. "'Uncle Roger says that Martin Forbes' wife "'has squelched him,' said Felicity. "'He says Martin can't call his soul his own after he married.' "'I'm glad of it,' said Cecily vindictively. "'We all stared. This was so very unlike Cecily.' "'Martin Forbes is a brother of a horrid man in Summerside "'who called me Johnny, that's why,' she explained. "'He was visiting here with his wife two years ago, "'and he called me Johnny every time he spoke to me. "'Just you fancy. I'll never forgive him.' "'That isn't a Christian spirit,' said Felicity rebukingly. "'I don't care. Would you forgive James Forbes "'if he had called you Johnny?' demanded Cecily." "'I know a story about Martin Forbes' grandfather,' said the story girl. "'Long ago they didn't have any choir in the Carlisle Church, "'just a pre you know. "'And at last they got a choir, "'and Andrew McPherson was to sing bass in it. "'Old Mr. Forbes hadn't gone to church for years "'because he was so rheumatic, "'But he went the first Sunday, the choir sang.' because he had never heard anyone sing bass and wanted to hear what it was like. Grandfather King asked him what he thought of the choir. Mr. Forbes said it was very good, but as for Andrew's bass, there was not bass about it, it was just a brrr the whole time. If you could have heard the story, girls, brr, not old Mr. Forbes himself could have "'invented it with more of the Doric scorn. "'We rolled over in the cool grass and screamed with laughter. "'Poor Dan,' said Cecily, compassionately. "'He's up there all alone in his room, missing all the fun, "'and I suppose it's mean of us to behave such "'as if we're having a good time when he has to stay in bed. "'If Dan hadn't done wrong eating the bad berries,' When he was told not to, he wouldn't be sick, said Felicity. You're bound to catch it when you do wrong. It was just a providence he didn't die. That makes me think of another story about old Mr. Scott, said the story girl. You know, I told you he was very angry because the presbytery made him retire. There were two ministers in the particular he blamed for being at the bottom of it. "'One time a friend of his was trying to console him "'and said to him, "'You should be resigned to the will of Providence.' "'Providence had nothing to do with it,' said the old Mr. Scott. "'Twas the McClorskys and the devil.' "'You shouldn't speak of the devil,' said Felicity, rather shocked. "'Well, that's just what Mr. Scott said. "'Oh, it's all right for a minister to speak of him, "'but it isn't nice for little girls.' "'If you have to speak of—of of him, you might say the old Scratch. That is what Mother calls him.' "'Twas the McClarskys and the old Scratch,' said the story girl reflectively, as if she were trying to see which version was more effective. "'It wouldn't do,' she decided. "'I don't think it's any harm to mention the—that person,' "'When you're telling a story,' said Cecily, "'it's only in plain talking it does. "'It sounds too much like swearing then.' "'I know another story about Mr. Scott,' said the story girl. "'Not long after he was married, "'his wife wasn't quite ready for church one morning "'when it was time to go. "'So, just to teach her a lesson, he drove off alone "'and left her to walk all that way. "'It was nearly two miles in the heat and dust.' She took it very quietly. It's the best way, I guess, when you're married to a man like old Mr. Scott. But just a few Sundays after, wasn't he late himself? I suppose Mrs. Scott thought what was sauce for the goose was sauce for the gander, for she slipped out and drove off to church, as he had done. Old Mr. Scott finally arrived at the church, pretty hot and dusty, and in none too good a temper. He went into the pulpit, leaned over it, and looked at his wife, sitting calmly in her pew at the side. It was a cleverly done, he said right out loud, but dinna try it again. In the midst of our laughter, Pat came down the walk, his stately tail waving over the grasses. He proved to be the precursor of Dan, clothed in his right mind. Do you think you should have got up, Dan, said Cecily anxiously. I had to, said Dan. The window was open, and it was more than I could stand to hear you fellows laughing down here and be missin' it all. Sides, I'm all right again. I guess this will be a lesson to you, Dan King, said Felicity, her most maddening tone. I guess you won't forget it in a hurry. You won't go and eat those bad berries another time when you're told not to. Dan had picked up a soft spot in the grass for himself and was in the act of sitting down when Felicity's tactless speech arrested him midway. He straightened up and turned a wrathful face to his provoking sister, then red with indignation, but without a word he stalked away up the walk. Now he's gone off mad said Cecily reproachfully. Oh, Felicity, why couldn't you have held your tongue? Why, what did I say to him to make him mad, asked Felicity in honest perplexity. I think it's awful for brothers and sisters to be always quarreling, said Cecily. The Cowans fight all the time, and you and Dan will soon be as bad as they are. Oh, sense," said Felicity. Dan's got so touchy. It isn't safe to speak to him. I should think he'd be sorry for all the trouble he made last night, but you just back him up in everything, Cecily. I don't. You do, too. And you've no business to, especially when Mother's away, and she left me in charge. You didn't take much charge last night when Dan got sick, said Felix maliciously. Felicity had told him at tea that night. He was getting fatter than ever. This was his tit for tat. You were pretty glad to leave it all to Cecily then. Who's talking to you, said Felicity. Now look here, said the story girl. The first thing you know, we'll all be quarreling, and then some of us will sulk all day tomorrow. It's dreadful to spoil a whole day. Just let's all sit still and count a hundred before we say another word. We sat still and counted the hundred. Then Cecily finished. She got up and went to search for Dan, resolved to soothe his wounded feelings. Felicity called after her to tell Dan there was a jam turnover she put away in the pantry, especially for him. Felix held out to Felicity a remarkably fine apple, which he had been saving for his own consumption, and the story girl began a tale of an enchanted maiden in a castle by the sea. But we never heard the end of it for just as the evening star was looking whitely through the rosy window of the west cecily came flying through the orchard wringing her hands oh come come quick she gasped dan's eating the bad berries again he's ate a whole bunch of them he says he'll show felicity i can't stop him come you try we rose in a body and rushed toward the house in the yard, we encountered Dan emerging from the fir wood, and champing the, f- and champing the fatal berries with unrepentant relish. Dan King, do you want to commit suicide? demanded the story girl. Look here, Dan, I expostulated. You shouldn't do this. Think how sick you were last night, and all the trouble you made for everybody. Dan- don't eat any more. There's a good chap. All right, said Dan. I have ate all I want. They taste fine. I don't believe this was what made me sick. But now that his anger was over, he looked a little frightened. Felicity was not there. He found her in the kitchen lighting up the fire. Beb filled the kettle with water and put it on the heat, she said in a resigned tone. If Dan's going to be sick again, "'We've got to be ready for it. "'I wish Mother were home, that's all. "'I hope she'll never go away again. "'Dan King, you just wait till I tell her "'of the way you've behaved.' "'Ain't going to be sick,' said Dan. "'And if you begin telling tales, Felicity King, "'I'll tell some, too. "'I know how many eggs Mother said you could use "'while she was away, "'and I know how many you have used. "'I counted.' So you'd better mind your own business, miss. A nice way to talk to your sister when you may be dead in an hour, retorted Felicity in tears between her anger and her real alarm about Dan. But in an hour's time, Dan was still in good health and announced his intention of going to bed. He went and was soon sleeping as peacefully as if he had nothing on either conscience or stomach. "'But Felicity declared she meant to keep the water hot "'until all danger was past, and we sat up to keep her company. "'We were sitting there when Uncle Roger walked in at eleven o'clock. "'What on earth are you, young fry, up so late for?' he asked angrily. "'You should have been in bed two hours ago, "'and with a roaring fire on a night like this, isn't it hot enough for you? "'Have you taken leave of your senses?' "'It's because of Dan,' explained Felicity wearily. "We went. "'He went and ate a bunch of berries, a whole lot of them, "'and we were sure he'd be sick again. "'But he hasn't been yet, and now he's asleep.' "'Is that boy Stark staring mad?' asked Uncle Roger. "'It was Felicity's fault,' cried Cecily, "'who always took Dan's part through evil report and good report. "'She told him she guessed... He'd learned a lesson and wouldn't do what she'd told him not to again. So he went and ate him, because she vexed him so. Felicity King, if you don't watch out, you'll grow up to be the sort of woman who drives her husband to drink, said Uncle Roger gravely. How could I tell Dan would act like such a mule, cried Felicity. Get off to bed, every one of you. It's a thankful man I'll be when your father and mother come home. The wretched bachelor who undertakes to look after a house full of children like you is to be pitied. Nobody will ever catch me doing it again. Felicity, is there anything fit to eat in the pantry? That last question was the most unkind cut of all. Felicity could have forgiven Uncle Roger anything but that. It really was unpardonable, she confided to me as we climbed the stairs, that she hated Uncle Roger. Her red lips quivered and the tears of wounded pride brimmed over in her eyes. Never you mind, Felicity, I said. He's only a grown-up.